Hi and welcome to the Courageous Mama podcast. It's lovely to have you back with me this week. My heart for this podcast is to empower and equip and encourage each other to be the best parents that we can be. Not perfect, but hopefully as we journey, more informed, more enlightened and inspired. And as my guests and I share insight and wisdom and experience, I hope that you'll feel empowered. Last week, we looked at some great tools and information to be aware of around technology so that we can help our children to manage themselves and play our part in managing some healthy boundaries without the fallout that I so often hear occurs around social media. It's a topic I've had many conversations about and spoken about at lots of schools, conferences and organisations and it's a great one to be getting our heads around. I've seen and heard enough to know that it evokes fear in us as parents. It might not be obvious fear, but some of our reactions point to the fact that we're concerned. We might have concerns over what they could access in that world that we're not a part of. We might have worries about how do we keep our relationship intact with our children as we put healthy boundaries in place that they don't like very much. And as I pointed out last week, that fear, that concern can lead us down some interesting avenues. I know that some parents choose not to engage with it at all and they just hope that it will pass without too much event. And others choose to keep them away from it completely. So what I'm speaking into here today is something in the middle, an empowered space where we can actually influence and empower our own children as they communicate with that world that's out there on social media. So last week we looked at how to listen to their understanding of social media world and I chatted about some of the sites that you might care to avoid and some of the little tricks that the kids can use to hide that world from us and how to draw up a written or a spoken contract that comes with the use of that phone or that piece of technology that you're putting into their hand. Because we might be talking about gaming here, phones, iPads, laptops. And whatever it is that we're offering, it's worth making a contract so that they understand and we understand exactly what the boundaries are. Because I think quite often conflict comes in the space of confusion. So we can at least eliminate that. And if you haven't listened to last week's one, you'll probably find it helpful, certainly informative, and it'll be easier to follow this one having heard it. But either way, welcome and thank you for joining me. So going back to those contracts, I refer to it as a two-way contract and that's because a contract should be two-sided. One of the most effective ways of making an impression on our children is by modelling. They're much more influenced by what we do than what we say. I mean, we've never taught toddlers to swipe, have we? But they can. They watch what we do. And so it is with our behaviours. So it's good when you're chatting about those contracts before you've finalised what's going to go into them. It's helpful to ask them, have you got any suggestions for me? Are there any ways in which you think that I use my technology that you find frustrating in family life? Now, when you're making that offer, it doesn't mean you're making a promise. It means you're asking them to inform your choices. And that's powerful in family life. 
difficult but powerful. But it's a great modelling not just for social media but for a way to live because hopefully one day they'll go off and live with other people and ask those people to speak into their lives about what's difficult, what's easy, so that people can live in harmony together. Whether that's a life partner or a house share, it's helpful to have an open communication about what we like to live with. Now I know that a few parents have gone off and done this with their kids and had quite interesting results. And there have been some interesting articles in the papers about how children feel about their parents and technology in their home, how they feel disempowered around their parents and technology. Here's a few direct quotes. Dad doesn't listen to me when he's on his phone. Sometimes I talk to mummy and she doesn't answer. It makes me feel like they don't care. That's you and me, isn't it? Hands up, it's certainly been me. My kids reckon that my voice sounds different when I'm on my phone and pretending to engage with them. They reckon they can take great advantage of this certain voice they hear and ask me all sorts of things when I'm distracted with my phone. But we do have some boundaries and those are things that my children have been able to speak into. I know that quite often when I'm down at the park with my youngest or my youngest and a friend, I'll often notice parents sitting on a bench nearby and their children, maybe as young as toddlers, are playing alone in the park What's there on their phone. And the first thing I'd want to say is let's be careful not to judge people. It could be that that parent is actually trying to get some work done and they felt that it would be far more fun for their toddler to be playing in a park than to be playing in their bedroom again. So we don't know what the motives are. But there are probably occasions where we've all picked up our phone when we could have been more engaged with our children. And I suppose that's the thing I'm encouraging us to think about. When can we be engaged that we're not? So some parents have got back to me on this point, which I found really helpful. I had one woman and she'd had a chat with her children about her behaviour. And they had said that what they found difficult was not that she was on it for long periods of time, but that she was constantly distracted by it. So she listened to that and decided that she would shift all her social media apps to the last frame on her phone so it wasn't quite so easy to access them. I know that some parents, including myself, have taken their pings and alerts off their phone so that they're not notified when there's a text or a WhatsApp. Now you might find that too hard to do but you might be able to concede over one particular app that pings and take your notifications off for that. And I realised in saying this that technology has revolutionised our world, hasn't it? And it can be hard to put it down without feeling like we're dropping those spinning plates. But whether we're booking a holiday, or good luck with that at the moment, or transferring money, or accepting a party invitation, or should I say a gathering in the park, or we're buying a gift on behalf of our child for that party, But here's the thing, it all looks like the back of a phone to our child. So we can't necessarily constantly put it down, but we can catch ourselves on certain things. Do you ever answer your phone in the middle of a conversation with your children? Do you look at it during dinner? Do you check it during breakfast time? One of the things that's come up repeatedly after I've done a a conference or a talk on this is that parents have come to the agreement that when a parent comes in from work at the end of the day and they're opening the front door and checking their phone at the same time, it feels very disengaging. 
And so that's something that I know parents have put into family life. They've agreed that they'll do their final checks of their phone and messages and whatever it needs to be outside the front door so that when they come in, they're all smiles and highs for their family. And when you have listened to them and worked out what you can manage, what you're prepared to put into the contract or even just agree to try harder at, let them know when you're finding it difficult. We so often hear people say, oh, I can't do that, it's too hard. I think that whole expression kind of implies that if something's too hard, it's not worth trying for. So if we let our children know when we're finding things hard, they'll realise we're finding it hard, but we're doing it anyway. And that's a fantastic thing to model, a great thing for them to see. So now let's look at consequences. What do we do when we've put great boundaries in place, we've put the contract in place, and they've leapt clean over the boundary wall? That's a great thing to think about in advance, to work out actually how am I going to respond and react rather than be caught off guard and potentially overreact. If you go back to podcast seven, you'll find a whole podcast on consequences. And that could be helpful if you're trying to find a broader context around consequences in family life. But in brief, a consequence is a direct effect from the choice that they've made. And that's how life will be. If you don't put petrol in your car, it will eventually stop, probably in the most inconvenient place possible and usually when you're running late. But nobody will take your possessions away or tell you that you've got to go to bed early because you forgot to put petrol in your car. Do you see my point? Consequences have to be directly related. And this is going to help you enormously in your relationship with your child. So often when I'm sitting with parents and we're trying to work out some resolution and some different issues for family life, it can be the case that the phone or their technology or their iPad is used as a punishment for just about everything, for rudeness, for lateness, for whatever it is in family life. Immediately, well, that's it, you're not going to have your phone for tomorrow or I'm going to take it away. And that's fine if it's around the technology itself, if it's a consequence to a technology choice that they've made. But if the consequence has nothing to do with the poor choice or the difficult behaviour that they've been exhibiting, you will build up resentment and they won't be able to make sense of it and that piece of technology will come back between you and it can be the centre of conflict in family life. It so often is. So make it clear and make your consequences around the technology very specific. Here's one of ours by way of example. If a phone is found in the bedroom after our curfew, which is half an hour before bedtime, you lose it for a day the first time, a week the second time, and a month the third time. So it's directly related and they know that. It's all in the contract, check the small print. And yes, we have had to walk it out and no, I didn't like it one bit, but in the long run, it meant I wasn't nagging, I wasn't on their back, I wasn't hassling them. It was very clear from the outset. Funny enough, it was a great month. And even that child admitted at the end of the month they'd really enjoyed being off grid for a bit. So it's not all bad when we put a consequence in place and we can do it kindly. We don't have to go stomping up to them, rip it out of their hand and go, you knew this was coming. We can just go, darling, I'm so sorry. This is the choice that we made and this is what we're gonna have to walk out now. 
I know in some cases parents have said to me, but what if they have to get on a bus and don't they need their phone for that? Well, there are a few ways you can work around that. You could give them their phone and put on an app that screens absolutely everything out except for your phone calls. That's a possibility. The other thing I would say is actually we used to go on buses without mobiles. It's amazing what they do survive, but I'm not here to tell you how you should run your family life. I'm just saying that's what we did. They certainly know how to get hold of you when they need to because everybody around them has got one. So you can have a think about some consequences that you think are appropriate when they leap over those boundary lines. But whatever you do, keep your consequences relevant in family life. If they've wasted your time delaying bedtime, let the consequence be time related. If it's around food, let it be food related. And that leaves you free and clear around their technology for a lack of confusion. So I'm going to move on to conflict now. What do we do when they pour their wrath on us because they're walking in a well-chosen consequence of a poor choice that they've made? Well, one thing's for sure, it's going to happen. They weren't supposed to like our boundaries, they were supposed to respect our boundaries. But do you know, boundaries are a form of love. Children will kick and push and press against them to make sure that they're there. They're looking for consistency. What if I do that? What if I say that? What if I push your buttons? And my word, they know how to push our buttons, don't they? They know exactly what makes us tick. And they can pull us into their pit of despair very easily. They're standing there and they're at the bottom of the pit and they've had their phone taken away and they can say things like, you know, you always favour her over me. Or you never listen to me. I don't know where your Achilles heel is or what guilt-inducing factor would work on you. So I would say make yourself immune and when they take that fishing rod and they throw it up out of the pit and they try and hook it into you, don't get dragged in. Just gently unhook it and let them know that you love them and that this boundary is here to stay and that once they can really do that boundary well, you'll think about moving them age appropriately but set yourself up for the discomfort. Do you know, I remember one of my children had, I can't actually even remember particularly what he'd done, but he was eight years old. A consequence came his way and he was livid. And I managed to hold my nerve and sort of keep calm. And throughout the day, he kept threatening me with different things. He was trying to hook me into his pit. At the end of the day, my husband came home and he said, can I see you in the bedroom, please, Dad? And so off they went into the bedroom. My husband kind of looked at me like, oh, I wonder what this is all about. And our child shut the bedroom door and he said, about that woman you married. <laughs> is that your final choice? So clearly he was pretty upset with me. But actually, what they're really trying to see is, are you big enough for me? Are you big enough for my bad moods, for my disappointment, when it all just gets spilled out and I can't cope because I'm in despair? And I think keeping calm and not getting in that pit and slugging it out and arguing with them and then soon wondering where on earth the smell is coming from, them or us, staying out of that pit is our way of saying, I am big enough, darling. I'm happy to sit on the edge. I can chat with you about it. But if I get in there, neither of us can get out. Now don't confuse this with never getting into their space. I'm not saying we shouldn't ever draw alongside them. I am saying if they're having a paddy about it, it isn't helpful for you to jump in there with them. You can engage, you can alongside with them, but don't get in because you might both get stuck. 
the most powerful tool that you can use in this scenario when they seem to be hating our decisions is empathy. They don't hate us, they hate our boundaries in that moment. Years later, they'll come back to them in appreciation, but we can't expect any of that yet, can we? But the beauty of empathy is it diffuses. So when they come to you with their angst and their fury and all the reasons why they should have had their phone in their bedroom or they should have had longer on that game, you can empathise with them and go, darling, I know this is really hard for you. I really understand that. When our 14-year-old lost his phone for a month, he was in a right old strop the next morning. But I didn't need to get annoyed with him or lecture him or remind him what the boundaries were. The consequence was doing the teaching. And that left me free to say, I realise this is hard for you. I'm sorry you're finding it difficult. Now, of course, I wanted to say, I warned you, you knew that was a possibility. But that's not helpful. And it's okay for them to be annoyed. Remember, they're detoxing. And one of the key things that I'd say about this is they don't hate us. They hate the boundary. So let's not think that they're rejecting us. They're rejecting our boundaries. It's their job. You know, there was a survey done a few years ago of parents and 55% of them said they wanted to be their child's best friend. It's very difficult to be their best friend and to fight for them at the same time. Our kids will get so many opportunities to make good friends, great friends, but parents are in shorter supply. And if we can't bear to lose their approval because we're seeking their friendship, then we're not parenting at all. We're just looking to meet our own relational needs. They need us to be courageous and gentle parents, not Bezzies. As one parent said to me, the pain of rejection is nothing to the pain of regret. So I'm going to talk about a couple of things now. The first one is a really useful antidote adventure. You know, a number of years ago, we used to run a course called How to Drug Proof Your Kids. And it was essentially a parenting course, but with a lot of drug know-how in it. And on the last session, we get this chap in called Tony France. And basically, any case of a person under 18 using drugs in Gloucestershire would come across his desk. What this man didn't know about drug taking, you could write on the back of a matchbox. He was so savvy. And of course, the question all of the parents would say to him is, why do they do it? Why do they do it? And he never pretended to have the quintessential answer to that question, because really, who does? But what he did say was that we've safe zoned our children's worlds. He'd say we used to climb 100 foot fir trees and slide down slides with metal sides. And I'm not suggesting that we risk their lives. But if you give children a measured amount of adventure, they're less likely to seek it in uncharted places. Let them whittle wood, play with pocket knives, make a fire and poke sticks into it, use the electronic drill, go wild swimming. It's a season of life where they are amped up and ready to do things that are outside of the bandwidth of their normal levels of courage. And if you don't want them to do that in the world of social media or with drugs, then give them at least some of what they're looking for. Take them on adventures. Just recently, we took the whole family and a load of great big water rings and we floated them down the Wye Valley. Now, the river is gentle. There is a little stretch of 
rapids if you want to call them that but it's got a little bit of edge to it because you don't really know where you're going to end up and on the way we pass this massive rock that you can jump off and just letting a bit of adrenaline flood through their veins actually gives them some of what they need. It was quite funny actually because we got down as far as a chap who was selling canoe hire and I don't know if he was more annoyed that we hadn't hired canoes or genuinely worried about our safety but he was hopping and saying you're loonies you're all mad you've got no helmets on you've got no life jackets on and I'd like to say actually it's a pootly little safe river if it's not in high flooded tide or if the weather isn't treacherous but just to say even he thought it was adventurous. <laughs> so put things in their lives. Some of you guys like to go off cycling downhill at great speed. There are things that we can do with our children that will put adrenaline through their veins and I encourage you to have a look for those things just to quench a little bit of their thirst. It works. And the other thing I wanted to talk about was the trust bubble. Funny, I was talking about this with a friend on the doorstep today. About 10 years ago, I started taking each of our children out for 45 minutes each, once a month. Now, that doesn't sound much, but when you've got five children, that does require a little bit of planning. So if you've got less children than that, I'm sure you can manage it with the help of a friend or a partner or a parent. And in this time, I would say to them, you can tell me anything, there will be no consequences, there will be no punishments. I will not advise you unless you invite me to. And I won't freak out. And interestingly, I would like to think I actually run family life like that, that my children at any point can say, Mum, I've got something to tell you and I, I just need it to stay on the down low. But obviously just having this specified period of time where I put this caveat on it and said, that's what this time is about. It enabled them or freed them to say things that they didn't normally say. So they might show me a particular vine or something that they'd seen and they'd watch my face and they'd see, yeah, can she do this? You know, she's as good as her word. And I kept my poker face. Do you remember we talked about that last week? Just not a poe face, but a keep calm face. And over the years, they did start to share with me. And they called this little place the trust bubble. And over the time, because we had created that space, there were two pieces of information that because they aired them and shared them, it prevented them from going off down a certain direction. It altered their trajectory, not because I was advising, but just because they were having the courage to share it and process it, knowing that I wouldn't attempt to steer them. And funny enough, one of my children said to me a couple of years ago, I was speaking on this, and he said, you know, Mum, I've learned to trust you outside the trust bubble because I learned to trust you inside the trust bubble. Now, you don't have to call yours the trust bubble. You might have a far better name for it. But just choosing a space that you put a caveat on that makes them feel able to share stuff with you might give you an opportunity to learn what's going on in their world, in their cyber world, and some of the challenges that they're up against. And whilst we're talking about time alone with your children, this is a great opportunity to say that when they get a device in their hands, you might buy into the fact that they're actually slightly less interested in you and far more interested in their friends. And it may well look like that, but actually it's a misreading. They may chase you down a bit less, but time alone with you is deeply nourishing. Whether they're 4 or 14 or 24, they need to feel that they're important in your world and that you've got time for them. 
You may be amazing at providing for them and ensuring that they've got everything they need and maybe even a full schedule when non-COVID times permit. And I'm sure all of their activities have value, but many of them are possible to carry out without actually connecting with that child. In this increasingly digital age, researchers are noting that children are losing their ability to concentrate, to read faces, to develop empathy. These skills are picked up by paying attention to others without distractions, because 80% of communication is non-verbal. So in this spinning world, the small gift of creating a space in your diary to pay attention to them teaches them how to pay attention to others, to sit and hold a conversation, a dying art you might say, and be reminded of how important they are to you. But significantly, it also has another powerful factor. It releases oxytocin. Last week, we touched on a little bit of neuroscience. So here's another bit worth noting. Oxytocin. It's a feel-good hormone that gets released from the pituitary gland when there's that experience of love or bonding. Sometimes it's even called the cuddle hormone. It can be stimulated by feeling nurtured, such as having a hug or a connected conversation, or focused time with someone, words of encouragement, a gift, or being the recipient of a kind deed. You know that feeling when you get flooded with that sense of being loved. It's often released in that moment when you sit down with a really good friend and you have a heart to heart. It's also the hormone that's released during sex or breastfeeding. It's a really strong hormone. It's the one that stimulates childbirth contractions. And when oxytocin is released, a person experiences an increase of love or affection or contentment. And it also produces the feeling of generosity and trust. And that has the benefit of reducing fear and uneasiness. That lowers the stress and the blood pressure and even reduces cravings for sweets, alcohol and other addictions, such as social media. That's what your Snapchat ping pose is all about. Love me, accept me, need me, make me feel wanted. Oxytocin is available online. But the love and attention of a parent releases that oxytocin in them. It reduces their cortisol levels, the stresses that they feel from foraging online for that sense of being needed. So I really encourage you in these teen years when they've got the world at their fingertips and they appear to need you so much less to consider that they actually need you more. That innate desire for oxytocin is what bonds and builds connection. And even if they've never heard of it, they have an innate desire for it and a strong desire for that primary source to be from you. So I'm going to end by responding to a common question, which is, are there any apps that we should steer our children away from? Well, you'll know if you listened to last week that there are certainly some apps out there that are a little bit toxic. But what about the common apps? And I would say it's not so much that the common apps are toxic. It's just that sometimes we expose them to them before they're really ready. WhatsApp, for example, has a recommended age of 16. Now that might seem a little bit extreme, but think about this. 
If when they first go on their phone, they've got WhatsApp, they're being exposed to lots and lots of group scenarios. And I would say that technology should follow personal relationship rather than the other way around. So many parents have said to me, I've just got my child a phone and this is blown up on WhatsApp. Or she picked her phone up after lunch and she had 240 messages. Or he went to his phone and found that something was going on and he just couldn't compete in that arena. I really think as a parent, we should think carefully about what we're enabling them to do online that we're not enabling them to do in person. That way, relationship gets built first and WhatsApp and other forms of social media come as a backup, just like they would for you and I at our stage of life. But to throw them into that arena before they fully worked out who they are and who their real friends are can cause so much trouble. So I just flag that up as a warning. Think carefully about WhatsApp. Perhaps get them going on a few of the family WhatsApps, maybe your larger family and your nuclear family WhatsApp, so that they can just get used to the group dynamics for a year or so before you throw them in at the deep end. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate doing this journey with you. It's great fun. And I appreciate the feedback that you're giving me and I'm responding to that and I'm bringing in experts and putting content on that reflects the sorts of things that you're interested in. And I've also really loved just the notes of encouragement that I've got, whether they've been verbally or on my email or through Instagram. So I'm very easy to find. It's Madeline Stanny at iCloud.com or at The Courageous Mama on Instagram or TheCourageousMama.com is my blog and I get up all the salient points from the talks that I've done so that if you want to see them in scripts and pass them around, you can. If you've enjoyed this, do rate it, subscribe, share it with a friend. I'm sure you know lots of people who could do with a bit of a hand with technology. I know that I needed it. I'll see you next week.